know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories, bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction. Wanna bet? What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. Quite a busy day in the NHL world. Two uh, notable executive positions. Uh, we don't have to worry about uh, who's going to be taking over those vacancies. In Toronto, Brad Treliving, uh, the new general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Kyle Dubas, the new president of hockey operations in Pittsburgh, announced within moments of each other. Siege. A very eventful, maybe even catty, maybe if you want to say petty, in terms of uh, how those announcements were kind of put out. We're going to spend a lot of time on both of those two today, but... What did you make of this very interesting day with those two organizations? Well, it's just a highly unusual set of circumstances where you have nearly overlapping press conferences in Toronto and Pittsburgh, and you have, uh, you know, Kyle Dubas's successor with the Leafs, Brad Treliving speaking first, and then Kyle Dubas getting behind the microphone. And you, you dig back the, the kind of pull back the curtain here. There's just so many, um, there's so much overlap is the best way to put it. I mean, you start with the fact that that Brad Treliving mentioned that Kyle Dubas is one of his better confidants among the GM's group. You, you have Brendan Shanahan mentioning that the, the CEO of Fenway Sports Group, Sam Kennedy, who, who was the one who reached out to get the permission to speak to Dubas, is one of his close friends. Uh, even Dave Beeston, who works for Fenway Sports Group, his, his dad, of course, is Paul Beeston. He used to run the Blue Jays, uh, so obviously someone who spent some time in his life in Toronto. Anyway, a long way of getting to the point for me that you know, in, in absorbing this, I was obviously live there for Brad Tree Living's introductory presser. You still kind of, for me, you get to this idea, like it might work out best for everyone the way it's worked out. Like as, as unusual as the circumstances are, the, as emotional at times as the last couple of weeks have been for, you know, both organizations and, and for Dubas specifically as he moves to Pittsburgh with his family, that, you know, this, this might work out well for everyone involved. And, and that's, that was kind of my, my feeling when I finally, you see these pieces rearranged, you, you see them get in front of the microphone. And, and, you know, I was just left with this idea that they might both be better off with the way this has all gone down. Let's start with the tree living press conference first. What were your impressions of how he handled questions? What were your impressions of the atmosphere? Take me through what being at that press conference was like. Well, it's been hot here in Toronto, right? Hot around the Leafs because of what Brendan Shanahan, frankly, the way Brendan Shanahan held a press conference almost two weeks ago to, to discuss firing Kyle Dubas, that, that ratcheted up the temperature with all the details he shared and everything that, that happened in the immediate aftermath of the Leafs' playoff loss. It's also been physically hot here in the city. It's like 29 or 30 degrees Celsius, and you know it was stifling in that room, the Scotiabank Arena uh, media room. And I thought it was so fitting, Brad Trilliving mentioning, you know, it's hot in here to start just to kick things off because – you know, what happened from that point on, to me, he, he brought the temperature down a little bit uh, in terms of around the organization. I mean, look, as you well know, and as anyone who's kind of followed the league these last number of years, I mean, he's very thoughtful, well-spoken guy, um, you know, comes across confident, but, but there's no sort of arrogance that, that comes through. I think, I think he's excellent, quite frankly, in those media availabilities. And he didn't say anything to me that should have Leaf fans like screaming in panic or going on, you know, 20, 20 version Twitter rolls here, just, just getting all angry about anything. Like I thought that he was sensible. He was direct. He, you know, 
hit the right notes. You know, I don't really know what you could accomplish on day one. If I'm going to be quite frank, like, I mean, it's not like you, any GM is going to come out and say, well, I'm going to trade this guy and I'm going to fire this person. I'm going to do that. But under the circumstances and given what's been going on around the organization, I thought it was just what the team needed and what, and what, you know, the front office needs, because obviously they want things to calm down a little bit as they get to down to work here in June. When you say that, the temperature was kind of turned down with how tree kind of handled things. The very first thing that comes to mind is how he handled the Austin Matthews thing. And it seems as if that should be high up on his priorities. Uh, am I wrong? No, I mean, look, he made it clear. He didn't dodge the fact that it's his number one priority. In fact, he, he labeled it as such. He mentioned that the other priorities are sort of one, a one B because he's not trying to put one so far ahead of the other. But, you know, I think that anyone with looking at this objectively understands how important Austin Matthews is to the Leafs, understands how it's important it is for the organization to know what his intentions are, you know, whether he's going to sign another contract extension. I mean, the entire, every, everything else flows out of that decision or that the outcome of that situation. And so I, I thought he was, he was well-spoken and saying, you know, basically his top priority is to get on a plane to Arizona at some point here in the next few days and, and meet Austin Matthews. I mean, they've only to this point exchanged some text messages. They don't know each other personally. And I think that that's as important in the initial stages of this as any sort of contract talks ultimately will be. I think that it's about getting a comfort there. Uh, there already is one with Brad True Living and Judd Moldaver, Austin's agent. I know those two guys have spoken uh, a few times anyway during the process where True Living was talking to the Leafs. So, you know, they, they also have a working relationship going back years, not, not tied directly to just these last few weeks. So that'll make things somewhat easier, but obviously... Uh, Tree Living made it clear he wants to get to know Matthews. He wants to get down there and and basically get the the ball rolling towards what the Leafs uh, you know are hoping will be a contract extension on July first. Okay, so we'll move on from Austin and and discuss Sheldon Keith. I have to admit, uh, when the season ended for the Leafs and we were discussing possible changes, I thought Sheldon Keith would have been the easiest move to make in terms of him being gone. Obviously, that is not the case. Uh, from the press conference, what do you get a sense of uh, when it comes to his future? What do you think that could be with under uh, under Badger Living? Well, there was no promises given, but he certainly left the door open to keep him. Um, you know, especially pointing out that the Leafs have become a better checking team. It's something he's noticed from afar. And, you know, he attributes that to, to Sheldon Keefe getting more out of the Leafs' top players, their, their offensive stars in terms of the commitment to, to play in, in their own zone and do the things that are needed. Uh, as truly being mentioned to, to win a championship that all to me sounded like he's inclined to, to certainly open to, to keeping Sheldon Keefe. I mean, he, he's come in with no preconceived notions. That's clear. He didn't, he didn't come in with the idea. He's definitely staying or he's definitely got to go. And, you know, this is another going to be relationship builder. They're going to have to meet, um, you know, in the near future as well. Sheldon Keefe actually spends a lot of time in the off season in Arizona. So maybe there's a two birds with one stone kind of situation uh, you know, with, with Dawson Matthews going on there and, you know, and ultimately reach a decision if he can work with them. I, I would say it would be hard to, to for the Leafs to, to change the coach at this stage. You know, we're seeing the, the kind of pool of available talent being drained with, with other hirings. I think there's, there's going to be more coaching hirings here in the, in the near future. And the Leafs obviously aren't even at the point where they've aligned candidates. So without someone obvious to take over, I think it does seem to point and, and with Brad Trilliving, you know, highlighting some of the things he thought were positives about Sheldon Keefe to bring him back. Maybe the bigger question, Julian, is, you know, he's entering the final year of his contract if he's back. And, and so is there any discussion or thought 
towards maybe even giving him a one-year extension, even just, just something to make it where it's not a lame duck situation. I, I'm not sure if Sheldon Keefe would want to do that, but I, I wonder if maybe that's part of what needs to be discussed here. The question might not be so much, is he back? It's, it's, does he come back as a lame duck? Because that's, you know, the, the, the world that, you know, a few coaches operate under this year, Lindy Ruff among them, for example, in New Jersey. And I don't expect there's going to be any issue with, with the Devils signing Ruff. So, I mean, it doesn't necessarily guarantee a bad season because the Devils had a lot of success and Ruff was a big part of it. But, um, you know, Toronto is its own beast at times. And I think it was clear for Kyle Dubas working in a contract year was a struggle or brought some challenges. And so, you know, that that's something I'll be looking forward to uh, or, or be interested about as, as those talks, you know, really get underway between Keith and uh, Brad Trilliving. I'm intrigued at the fact that the Leafs went through a season as they did. And they've they've tried it again with the core four over and over and over. And we've seen the years in and out where they're they're shuffling some of the other supporting pieces surrounding them. And Brad True Living is now the new top dog in terms of GM with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And he enters a situation where it is possible that the head coach stays. It is possible that the core four stays. At least it is intended that Brendan Shannon wants those guys to remain in place. And if, if I imagine if you're a Leafs fan and you go through the years over and over, the the Charlie Brown missing the football from Lucy holding onto it, maybe you want some kind of change. But unless I'm wrong, I don't get a sense that like Brad Living is going to have this massive imprint to start his his tenure with the Leafs as GM right away. Unless I'm misreading it wrong, but like at, at the very least, in terms of some of those bigger pieces, it's not going to happen. In, with maybe with the core four, maybe with Sheldon Keith, but we, I could be wrong. Well, not to start next season. I don't, I don't, that's where I'm at too. And I guess I wouldn't have had that in the, on my bingo card, you know, the day after the Leafs season ended that when they lost to, to Florida in game five in the second round, I, I wouldn't have thought the biggest change and the only significant change might be the general manager spot, but that that's where we're sitting today. I mean, it's hard to read this any other way. I would say though, Brad Living's fingerprints will be all over the roster one way or another, because the Leafs have 10 UFAs, right? They, they have a lot of decisions to make in the bottom half of their roster. Uh, I would expect that you're going to see them just based on his track record, make some changes to their blue line. And, you know, the goaltending picture isn't exactly clear as we're sitting here today at this point in time either. So between all of those things, I do think that the Leafs are going to have a, a, a much different look next year. It just doesn't feel as though the main pieces of the team is, is going to be where that difference comes from. And look, I don't even know that it's the worst idea, quite honestly. I mean, if you've gotten to this point, let Bradshaw Living get more time to, ha- to really look under the hood himself, to gather the information he needs to gather, to, to, to see where it's at and see if maybe, you know, I'm not going to suggest by any stretch that I think Kyle Dubas was the problem in Toronto, but it doesn't mean that somebody else coming in with a fresh set of eyes can't find some solutions uh, that, that eluded Dubas during the five years that he was in the general manager's seat. And so... You know, I don't know that it's the worst way to approach this. I don't know how the fans are going to feel. I mean, part of this, it feels like part of this is just trying to calm everything down to, to give the Leafs guys one more chance. I mean, it, it, it should be abundantly clear to anyone paying attention that Brendan Shanahan believes in the Leafs core four, if we're going to call him that. That, that, that he has been consistently backed those players. You know, they went through some difficult contract negotiations, specifically with Nylander, but also to a lesser degree, Mitch Marner and even Austin Matthews. Uh, they've, they've gone through these repeated playoff uh, shortfalls and, and really haven't shown the progress there that you'd like to see. 
But the message all along from Shanahan's feeling is it didn't just give these guys more time. Let them figure it out. It's going to come together one year that they're going to get the necessary scars or, or experiences. I mean, we're clearly beyond that point in time. I know no one wants to hear the, those discussion points anymore, but I, I do think that the actions we're, we're likely to see from the organization are to give them that one more chance, albeit with a lot of different uh, cast of characters around them because they got a huge number of free agents and there's just, there's no way that I see all of those players being brought back. I mean, reasonably, you might be looking at one or two of them uh, that Brad Tree Living is able to sign. Speaking of the core four, I know we're using the term and it's been used for years, but there was a point where where Brad Treliving was trying to make the point that it's not about a core four. It's not about one player over another. It's about the Toronto Maple Leafs. What did you think of how Brad Treliving handled that? Uh, what I don't remember what the question was, but that particular answer, what did you think of that? Well, he's, he's going to try to shield his guys, right? And I, I, I like the quote. It's one of those quotes that probably bounced all over Twitter and as I'm making my own decisions, writing my column, it, you know, it's one that, that there's a good chance it gets in there. But I mean, really, when you break it down, as much as he says that, it, you know, I think the, the fans and the media are still going to focus on those players. I mean, the, in this case, the reason the Leafs core four are talked about is because they collectively make $40 million. And that's represented for a number of years now, just slightly less than 50% of the total amount the team can spend on, on all the players. And so the question going back five or six years has been, can you win while allocating the money? I don't think there's ever been a question. Are these players worth, you know, should they not be top paid players? I don't think that that's ever been the debate. The debate is, can you build a team in the way the Leafs have tried to? And, and so that's why this so much glare gets on them. Uh, it's, it's because they're stars, but it's also because the Leafs have, have by and large been trying to do something that, that isn't really done as much elsewhere in the league, when you look at, at the way other teams allocate their dollars, maybe across positions more. Um, and, and it hasn't worked in the playoffs, right? I mean, what's, what's perplexing, I would say, about the Leafs' core four is, is that the, the goals are where the team has struggled when you've got to the key moments in, in playoffs. I mean, not just this past year, but you look back across time. I mean, they, they've had trouble breaking through offensively, which is, you, you would think, the one area where they shouldn't have any trouble given the offensive skills of those players. So, um, you know, I think it's, I, I have no, I take no issue with the quote in this case, but I don't think it's going to change a whole lot in terms of how the team is discussed externally. And that was a little bit of what Brad Chilevin was saying is that the focus has to be on the Leafs, on everybody, on the 23 players in the, in the organization. Well, you know, this is, it's just not the way it works in the media. And when it gets to next year's playoffs, that the focus will still be on is Marner producing, is Matthews producing, has Tavares scored, What's William Nylander up to? I mean, that's as long as they're all members of the team, I just don't see any way around it. Two more things before we get to you can bet that. Is there any news we can expect with regards to uh, the front office staff uh, for Bradshaw Living, any other AGMs or anyone else you might want to bring in? I don't think short term that's something that I expect anyway. There's no one I've, I've heard that he's, you know, on the verge of bringing in, you know, as sort of a condition of his hiring. I, I do think over time that's going to be natural that, that, that people that work for the Leafs might be, you know, looking at other opportunities that maybe Bradshaw living gets in and, and wants to rearrange the way things have been ordered because the Leafs did have, I believe four assistant general managers under Kyle Dubas in this, this most recent year, there's, you know, their front office, it's a very large front office. Of course, it's structured in a way though. Other teams aren't maybe Bradshaw living. will get some look at that and he's going to want to make changes there, not necessarily to the personnel, but how it, how it looks. And, you know, so I do think a year from now, for sure, it's going to be a different, shaped front office um but I, I don't expect anything here you know in the run-up to the draft or free agency i think i think it'll be status quo 
you know, as I do in Pittsburgh, I know we haven't got to the, the, the Penguins end of this yet, but, you know, Kyle Dubas didn't sound like he's in a rush to get in there and start hiring all his old buddies as much as I, I understand the talk on, on Twitter about that. I think it's reasonable to expect that Jason Spezza will find his way to Pittsburgh in some kind of role with Dubas, just given how close those two were. And, and remember, Spezza resigned his position the, the day Dubas was fired. And so that's a natural one, you know, whether Kyle Dubas comes knocking at the door for someone like Brandon Pridham or Haley Wickenheiser or someone he's been working with in Toronto, I think it remains to be seen. And it, it's certainly not anything that's on my radar for the next, you know, four to six, eight weeks. And what about uh, Brad for living status for the draft? Yeah, well, this is an interesting one. He's, he's not eligible to be at the draft table. You know, part of the conditions in the flames uh, granting permission for him to, to speak to the least about the job was that, you know, he's recusing himself from the draft. Now, this isn't entirely unprecedented. I think it's, you know, it's it's not. I, I don't really know what it accomplishes, if we're just going to be honest here. Because, let's face it, the Leafs pick 28th right now, and they have a fifth-round pick and a sixth-round pick. So, you know, obviously he's learned things about, you know, from some of the early draft lists that, that Calgary was putting together. But I'm not sure how that's going to be weaponized against them. But, I mean, look, it's happened in the past. I, I, I can think back to... Um, when Bill Armstrong ended up going to, to Arizona from St. Louis in 2020, it, it was done. I know it happens quite often, say, with when teams hire, you know, an assistant GM or someone who's been in a scouting role with another organization, not just for GM's jobs. It's happened in the past. But, yeah, it doesn't sound like he'll be active in terms of what the Leafs are doing drafting-wise, but the Leafs aren't going to be active drafting. I mean, they've they got three picks right now. And uh, Wes Clark, who runs their amateur side, will, will be tasked with making those selections. I think – Quite honestly, when you're picking 28th and like 160 something, I, like even if Brad Living was sitting there, he'd probably almost certainly would be deferring heavily to the Leafs scouts and to what Wes Clark wanted. And, and, you know, that'll be the same, you know, how it factors into the other things. I mean, I guess it's more time for Brad Living to talk to his peers and work the phones on, on non-pick related trades and, and some of the other, you know, changes that might come because he's, he's going to have more free time than normal uh, on that weekend. He could go to Nashville and enjoy himself maybe a little bit more than he would normally would. If he wanted to be truly legendary, he would just hang out at Tootsie's while the draft was going on. He could be like the only <laughs> NHL GM who took in the draft from the world's most famous country bar across the street. Can't wait to go to Tootsie's and, and run into you next month there. I'm also just curious. I mean, this is less of a problem for you because you've been in the game as long as you have and you get people to talk to you on the regular. Like, one cool thing I thought about Tree with, you know, even though I just had him uh, in Calgary for the one year I've been here, I really thought it was cool how accessible he was as a GM in terms of just being able to contact him and, and, and being able to have those opportunities to speak to him. And maybe that's because of the market that he's in. Yes, Calgary's a Canadian market, but it is not the same amount of pressure as it is in Toronto. I'm very curious about how... Uh, I, I guess what he's been accustomed to in Calgary in terms of dealing with the media will change uh, as he now transitions over to the Toronto side of things in the NHL. It's a great unknown, right? It's a great unknown about how that'll go. You know, I think you're right because he is so decent and as forthcoming as you can be in those positions, obviously GMs don't always just tell us exactly what we want to know all the time. I mean, that, right. that's, there is a certain amount of, of misdirection involved in those, those, uh, exchanges, you know, I think that that'll bode well for him, but it, it's, it's going to be a tough spot. It's still going to be different. I know there's a lot of care for the flames. I, I'm certainly not hating on Calgary, but the Leafs, 
the, the stupid center of the universe thing, it, it rings a little true, you know, at times. And, and there's a lot of volume in Toronto. I've, I've never, you know, it'd be hard. I can't even put myself on the other side. I, I can't imagine what it would be like to be Brad True Living or Dave Notice, Brian Burke, Lou Lamorello, Kyle Davis, like to be discussed that often. Like it's, it is a, just a constant discussion. It, it could be July 28th turn on the radio or, or fire up the CJ show on your YouTube. And, and we're going to be probably talking about stuff too, but you know, I don't know how that, that, how that gets to you, I guess is what I can't say for, for true living. Like, that's what I wonder. It does. Does he get just tired of the whole thing? Does he have a lot of patience? I, I would, I would say as an observation, I thought Kyle Dubas had a lot of patience for some of the, just some of the bullshit the job brings. Right. Um, you know, Obviously, there's people who are critical of him at times, made it a little bit personal in the media, you know, a few front pages of newspapers that were ridiculous over the years and stuff like that. But like, just in my time talking to him, I got a feeling that, that, that he just let that roll off his back. He understood it was part of the gig. What he would always say, Julian, being the, the GM of the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds in your hometown, in a place where, you know, that team is, is so heavily focused on actually prepared him for this because... You know, he took a lot of criticism, especially in his first year with the Greyhounds for some of the trades he made and, and those sorts of things. So maybe maybe he was uniquely built up for that. But, you know, I know for sure. Tra Tree Living's great with the media. He's been around a long time, but he will never have experienced anything like about what's to come. Anything else from the press conference? Anything else from today that you'd like to mention that I didn't ask you? You know, you, you didn't mention off the top. Like, I don't know. I I think it was funny. The press conferences were overlapping. I don't think it was uh, I don't think it was a grand plan, honestly, myself. You know, I think in terms of, you know, the Penguins wanted to make sure that the Fenway Sports Group people the, from their ownership could be there for the press conference. And, and obviously they were. I don't think they necessarily wanted to do it on a Friday. Like, I, I don't know. We all like to pretend that every, that the, like we're all just like subject to this giant marionette play. But I think it, there's some maybe coincidence in, in the timing of everything, but, but look, it made it delicious. I mean, I was sitting in the media room when, when the Dubas news dropped, I mean, you're just sitting there you're just like, man, and then he's going to talk at 1230. Like it's, you know, it's <laughs> 11. Like what, this is, this is wild. I, I will say we all missed out though. And, and we'll get to the Pittsburgh end of this on the other side. We all missed out on the Toronto media, not being able to be part of that press conference. Cause I mean, my colleagues in Pittsburgh, I'm sure are glad that didn't happen, but it, it would have been very interesting if there was more Toronto-based questions in that room of Dubas, just with his relationship with Shanahan, with the way Shanahan chose to handle his exit publicly, I mean, all those types of things. It, it would have been a bit of more of a sideshow had, uh, had, had the timing lined up for some people to get in a car and drive five hours. Let's hold the fire on Dubas for now. Uh, let's get to You Can Bet That. While you're here, if you're watching this on YouTube, give us a like, subscribe to the SDPN YouTube page or... Uh, if you're trying to listen to this podcast on whatever streaming service, subscribe to the show on that platform. Let's get to You Can Bet That, and then we'll talk about Kyle Dubas joining the Pittsburgh Penguins. You Can Bet That with David Bastel. Brought to you by Sports Interaction. Get in the action and make a play. 19 plus. Please play responsibly. Time for You Can Bet That. Remember to hit up sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN for all, all of, all of your gaming needs. Wow, sometimes reading is hard. Uh, the Conswife Trophy. Uh, we've reached the Stanley Cup final. Uh, days away from that, but we are in the final round of this year's Stanley Cup playoffs. The favorite, according to Sports Interaction, 
is Sergei Bobrovsky. Matthew Kachuk with the second best odds. Jack Eichel with the third best odds for uh, the Conn Smythe Trophy. Uh, how do you see this playing out? I know we've been we've been Team Bobrovsky when it comes to the Conn Smythe Trophy. Uh, have you been swayed in any way? No, my opinion hasn't changed, but I, but I will say this. As soon as they play game one of the cup final on Saturday, my opinion might change. It, it's, you know, I'm pretty confident heading into this round that that's where I'm at. You know, what's interesting about Eichel being the top Vegas option is I, I did an unofficial poll of some of my colleagues and people that have covered the Golden Knights a little closer. And, and you know, they, they had a little different view of, of you know, who Vegas's top player has been. I think, you know, what's been great about Vegas as a story is, is they do have a number of, of choices, which I think is actually a good thing in this case. I mean, you got... Jonathan Marchessault has just gone bananas. I think it's nine goals in his last 10 games. You got William Carlson logging big minutes and, and putting up points for them. Obviously, Aiden Hill's come into their net and given them Bobrovsky-like experience here. Uh, it's certainly not knocking Eichel down, but, uh, you know, from my my very, very highly unofficial poll, don't take it to the bank kind of poll, it didn't, didn't seem that Eichel was the favorite from the Vegas end of things. And, I, and look, I think the Stanley Cup final at the end, it's a playoff MVP award, but what you do in the Cup final unless what you've done in the first round is so overwhelmingly better than anyone else that the cup final is the differentiator, right? It's, it's, is, this is what really matters is, you know, who, which team finds a way to win these four or seven games and, and who are the big stars that, that power those victories, I think will probably go a long way to who is holding the Conn Smythe trophy in a couple weeks time. Did you make a cup final pick? I did. I took Vegas and six. Okay. So we both agree Vegas and six. Uh, yeah, we're going to roll with that one. And then, and you're right. Once the series begins, uh, we will figure, we'll have a better idea about who the Conn Smythe Trophy frontrunner will really, really be. Uh, in the meantime, don't forget to check out sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN for all the best odds before game, in game, and the best props, sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. This episode of the Chris Johnston Show is brought to you by Manscaped. Father's Day is right around the corner, and you haven't gotten your dad anything yet. Don't worry, that's where Manscaped comes in. We both know he needs some serious grooming in his life. So get your dad the Lawnmower 4.0, and he'll thank you for helping him tame the beast. It's a win-win situation for both mom and dad. Plus, if you use the code CJSHOW, you'll save 20% off and get free shipping. CJSHOW, the code you need to use when you go to manscaped.com, and you will save 20% and get yourself some free shipping. And the Lawnmower 4.0, really sleek, really nice, a uh, great body hair trimmer. Uh, and uh, it says your balls will thank you on the box as well. Really, really nice touch. Uh, this upgraded trimmer includes a multifunction on-off switch that can engage a travel lock. And it's a great feature if your father or yourself do a lot of traveling. It gives you the ability to turn on the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. You could essentially shave your balls in the dark. That's actually pretty cool. Uh, the Lawnmower 4.0 even allows you to customize your trim through additional guard lengths with sizes 1 through 4. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code Manscaped with the code CJShow at manscaped.com. Get your dad a gift you know they will use. So, while uh the Toronto media were uh dealing with Brad Trilliving, his questions, the questions were directed toward him, I should say. All that going on in Pittsburgh. Kyle Dubas announced as president of hockey operations for the Penguins. What did you think of uh, this development? This It started as a whisper, and now Kyle Dubas 
is a member of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Started as a whisper and became a roar, right? I mean, how many people have ever been fired in the NHL and within 13 days get a promotion on their next job? It's a really, truly incredible set of circumstances that, that played out here. And, you know, I thought it was interesting. Kyle gave some of the timeline, like filled in some of the gaps that we wouldn't have known about that, you know, if you remember, he was fired out of Friday. It was May 19th by the Leafs. Uh, he said, you know, when that happens, you're inundated with, with texts and calls. He said, people want to come by the house. He said, it's really nice, but it's kind of sad, right? Because you're saying goodbye, frankly, to, to people that he's worked with and, and maybe got to know friends in the community, that, that type of thing. But already by Saturday, the next day, the Penguins had got permission uh, to speak with him. He actually missed a call from Sam Kennedy, who is the CEO I mentioned off the top, as, was described as a close friend by Brendan Shanahan uh, during the Leafs side of this press conference. And Sam Kennedy basically said that we had permission. We want to talk to you. Um, Kyle said it was his wife who, who said to him, look, maybe, maybe you should think about this. Cause you know, it was his inclination in that moment uh, that, that maybe you got to let the dust settle a little bit. Uh, but his wife said, look, we're going to have to move anyway. Uh, their, their son, Leo is, is six years old or going to be six years old. He's entering first grade next year. And they thought, well, why not maybe at least consider moving this summer before the kids are too involved or too entrenched with their friends and schools and the like. And so by Sunday, Kyle was already in the home of John Henry, who's, uh, you know, the Red Sox owner, the, the, the governor for the Pittsburgh Penguins, having what was described by him as a long meeting, uh, really, but the vision of what Fenway Sports Group wants and, you know, went a long way to clearly getting him excited from being fired out of Friday morning to being in a different city, sitting in another team owner's house. Um, you know, what a whirlwind that was for, for Kyle and his family. And, you know, ultimately there was subsequent meetings with Sidney Crosby, Mike Sullivan, his wife and kids came down to, to get a look at Pittsburgh, to, to get an understanding where they were going to live. And ultimately uh, he reached, you know, a job where he's now got a direct line to ownership, right? I mean, it was him having the meeting in the owner's house. It's him that did the negotiating with, uh, you know, with the key people on the team in terms of locking up his contract. Um you know, we'll see what ends up happening in terms of who's the general manager over time under Kyle Dubas, but there's no question about who's where, where the, the bullet stops when it comes to hockey decisions for, for the Pittsburgh Penguins. It's, it's at Kyle's desk and at his door, and he is, uh, he's the main voice of that, that operation now. But CJ, Kyle Dubas said that he was only, it was only going to be Toronto or bust. What happened? I know you're – I see you. I know you're being – Tongue-in-cheek with this. I mean, let's not spend any time on that beyond saying he made that he made that statement at a time when he was negotiating with the Leafs and was seeking to still be their general manager, and then he was fired. And I, I think that that's a pretty significant change of context and of the details that it doesn't warrant much more. Doesn't warrant much more. I mean, it's hard. It's hard put yourself in his shoes. Like what would it be like to be fired as a Leafs GM? And, and no matter where you land on, if you think it was his fault, if he, if he, you know, didn't negotiate in good faith or if he was asking for too much, I mean, it, what, what, whatever your view of his side of the negotiation is as much as we know publicly, even still, like he was at his office, Brendan Shanahan comes in and fires him. I mean, you know, I just think everything changes when that happens. I've been lucky enough would, I've never been fired. Uh, from a job, but I can imagine, you know, even if you sort of know it might be coming, even if things aren't smooth with the negotiations, that that that's a pretty big 
you know, dividing point. And then the next day you've got very powerful people in the sports world calling you, wanting to line up interviews. You go for those interviews, you go through a process and let's face it. I don't know what the value of his contract is, but I'm sure there's a lot of money here and there's a, there's a really unique opportunity. I mean, what Kyle Dubas is going to try to do in Pittsburgh, he's going to try and take whatever of this window is left with, with Crosby, Malkin, and Latang as key players on the team. But what he's really trying to do is shrink the next window for when those guys are no longer performing at a level that can make Pittsburgh a special team and make sure it's not this long bottoming out period. I mean, he's what he's going, what he's been tasked with is a long-term job. I mean, there's the short-term aspect. He's going to try to build the penguins up into a team that can reach the playoffs again next year that can maybe contend, but really his biggest job is establishing a long-term plan and pipeline of prospects and, and what have you to, to have it so that they don't go through a 10 year period where they're just wandering around the desert when you no longer have 87 and 71 in the lineup. But I think, I think that, that, that is interesting. That's the kind of challenge knowing Kyle a little bit. That's, that's got him excited. I'm sure because otherwise it's, it's a tough job, right? I mean, I loved how he backed his guys. I thought he was very forceful, you know, saying he's betting on Mike Sullivan and, and these players and, and with good, right. Those, those players are all going to the hall of fame. I, I'm not, I'm not here to chip away at them, but the, the question from the outside can be asked about what, you know, what they have left. I mean, Sidney Crosby just said 90 plus points at age 35. He didn't miss a game. Like you, you hope he can replicate that next year, but just, just given what we know about timelines and aging, I mean, it's certainly not a guarantee. That being said, you know, I just watched Joe Pavelski play pretty well in the Stanley cup playoffs. He's a few years older than Sid. So it's certainly not impossible. And Joe Pavelski might want to come back next year. Like, of course he's it's not impossible. Back. Of course he's coming back, but all that to say, like, it's not impossible. Like if this was a lesser big three, you know, you're wondering about the viability. You're wondering about their ability to play at a high level. This is Sidney freaking Crosby. This is Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang, who I still can't believe is still able to play at a high level considering the health issues he's played through. If there's a core you want to bet on, I completely understand why you want to bet on that core. You can make an argument the last few years, if goaltending was a little bit better, they at least win a round or two, or they go on some kind of run. I, I understand it's very much a risk, but if you're going to do it with, with any aging core, I understand why this one would be the one. Right. And as I say, though, it's also a long-term play for Kyle. Like I yes. think, I think what intrigues him is the plan here isn't to just like keep trading every draft pick you have to squeeze what you can out of this. And then just, we're going to be terrible for a long time and no one's going to buy tickets. And you hope you, you find your next Crosby, you know, through the draft lottery. Like they, I mean, Fenway Sports has tremendous resources, right? They, they, the sports are not equivalent with the other sports they run, but all the ways they do business. Like I'm going to guess in a couple of years time, we'll be talking about the Penguins doing things off ice that no organization in the NHL is doing. And, you know, for Kyle Dubas at the age he's at, still in his 30s, you know, this is a long-term play. Like he's not moving a six-year-old and a two-year-old uh, to Pittsburgh to, to be there for three years and then be looking for his next job. I mean, I think he's going there with the intent to, to make this, this a long, long-term position. Now, the success or failure of the team, will, as it always does, will probably determine whether that happens or not. But that, to me, I think is, is the real key piece that, that maybe some people are missing about why Dubas would choose Pittsburgh. Um, you know, there, there's, there's still a potential window here with the guys that have already put three banners up at, at that arena. But, but I think that there's a chance maybe to be different in terms of how they transition to the next one. And, and 
you know what? If the one thing we'll say about Kyle Dubas, the guy believes in himself. He's not he's not doubting himself, right? Uh, and so he believes he can be the one to help do that. And that's that's kind of the challenge as I see it, like the, the, the high level view of the situation he's jumping into. So what's next for Kyle? What's the first order of business for him in his position? Well, he's got a lot of cap space. So that's a nice thing entering the summer. You know, kind of a similarity there with Toronto. Toronto has more cap space than, than they have had the last number of years under Dubas. Uh, but as for the Penguins, you know, they, they got about $20 million in cap space. I think he's he's got to determine probably pretty high on the list of personnel decisions would be, are they going to get in the market for Tristan Jari, the goaltender? Do they want to make a long-term commitment to him? Does he want to do what he's been doing in Toronto and sort of roll the dice a little bit with, you know, a couple sort of mid-level players and, and see how that works out? I think that that's, that's probably pretty important. And I thought it was interesting he mentioned or dropped in to one of his answers that they're going to be looking for another sort of top six type of forward, someone else to augment, um, you know, whether it's on a line with Malkin or maybe playing alongside Crosby, but you know, that's, that gave a little hint of what he's going to be looking at to see maybe if there's a transaction out there, not, not the the sharpest free agent pool we've seen um, this season, but I, I think that those will be the sorts of things. Then in addition to just, of course, getting to know the staff, getting comfortable in his new surroundings, figuring out what the hell it is he's working with. I mean, that's, you know, Kyle Dubas and Brad Living are probably going to have some great phone conversations <laughs> at some point because, like, they're both they're both being tossed in to similar positions. They they can understand what it must be like for the other. Obviously, in Dubas's hands, with a firsthand understanding what it's like working for the Leafs, um, you know, it's going to be a busy, busy, busy few weeks and months. So, obviously, someone who as someone who is not a Leafs fan, uh, as an outsider, seeing Kyle Dubas do his thing, you know, we I can see the track record for what it is the one playoff series win but obviously you've mentioned at different points some of the uh the advancements in behind the scenes with the Leafs but I've also noticed that a lot of Leafs fans in recent weeks very upset obviously to see Kyle Dubas go there seems to be this attachment to him uh as as a leader of that team and a lot of people are 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 pretty sad that he's that he's gone despite what his track record looks like can you kind of explain, uh, I guess, for other people who listen to this podcast and are not so tuned in with the Leafs, why factions of the Leafs fan base feels the way that it feels about Kyle Dubas? Well, look, sports is about attachment, right? Sports is about fanaticism. You look at where the word fan is derived from. It's about caring. And, you know, Kyle Dubas was hired when the, the Leafs in this sort of most recent 20 years were probably at their lowest point. Like they, they, they appeared to have no plan. They were strapped with bad contracts. They were in a really tough spot that, you know, they their previous front office was slow to embrace some of the analytics and things that, that were being introduced by other front offices. And Kyle Davis was hired quite unusually and put, I was there put in a press conference in the Leafs dressing room, an assistant general manager, you know, young guy, bright guy, um, you know, but he, uh, you know, he, he wanted, he was presented as, as sort of hope. I'll call it that. And over nine years, I think he acquitted himself pretty well, right? It was more in the background initially, um, you know, but the Leafs started making better decisions. They obviously found some luck in the draft lottery. They, they, started getting better players. They started qualifying for the playoffs. 
Kyle Dubas was in charge primarily of the Toronto Marlies once Lou Lamorello was hired and he helped the Marlies win a Calder Cup uh, with some players that then immediately were brought up to the Leafs. And then he got to the Leafs seat and he, he made a lot of decisions that, that seemed to make sense. And he was very clear in how he voiced those things. And so, you know, I can't tell anyone what to feel or not to feel. But my guess would be, to, your, to, to get back to your original question, is so many people identified with the hope. And, and it seemed like it was going to come through, you know, that it was going to deliver. It was sort of like this, this manifestation was going to happen. And, and I, I'm sure it's hard now for those, some of those people that have that attachment, um, that, that they now feel maybe he's going to go do that in Pittsburgh and that it's going to be a missed opportunity for the Leafs. I mean, I have to believe that's sort of, that's kind of what it is. I mean, this wasn't just the general manager of the team. He, you know, he was hired at an extremely young age. He was, he was brought out again in front of reporters at, at a time, maybe that wouldn't happen. And he, and you know, he's a lot of good things happened while he was here. And, he, and let, let's face it, I'll, I'll put my cards on the table. He's a good man. He's a really kind guy and smart guy and committed guy. And so I could see why fans would, would get attached to that or some might, but then you go back to your point at the end of the day, and Kyle would know this too. One playoff series win in five years is just not good enough for the team the Leafs have. And I don't think that that's solely or even, I don't even know to what percent I would put it on Kyle Dubas' shoulders, but when that happens in sports, shit's going to happen. And shit happened. And, and that's, that's, to me, the other side of this that, you know, we probably haven't explored enough is Dubas and Shanahan worked together for nine years. That's a long time to have a, that's a long relationship. And I don't even think you have to place fault at anyone's foot or, or try to guess exactly what was going on to say that maybe there's a strain from that, that maybe the fresh start for both of them isn't the worst thing. I mean, no different sometimes than in human relationships and in, in your personal relationships that, you know, it, it's, I don't think that it's crazy to think, as I was sort of saying at the top, that this isn't good for Dubas to get an opportunity. I mean, what an opportunity working for the Fenway sports group. I'm assuming again, life-changing amount of money on his contract. He's gets to work with Sidney Crosby and Mike Sullivan. And these guys try to help them win a cup, but also try to do something. I think you're, you're going to see him innovate things behind the scenes that you haven't seen in the past. I mean, perfect opportunity for him. For Brendan Shanahan, you still got a team that had 115 points, 111 points the last two years. And you've got Brad True Living. Like, I, I don't understand why True Living's being painted as so underwhelming of a hire. I mean, he, he was clearly the best candidate, to my view, that the Leafs could choose from at this point in time. You know, just because guys like Doug Armstrong and Julian Brisebois and go down the list are not available to be hired in this moment. And I don't think it's implausible to think that, that he might take a slightly different approach and get better results. Like, I, I, I don't think that that... And, I, and if that happens, it's not an indictment on Dubas. It's just... You know, you can only look at a problem so many ways and maybe you need someone new trying to solve the problem. I got to say with with Tree, right? Like, again, I've only had the opportunity the opportunity to deal with him in the past year. But kind of similar to what you're saying with, with Kyle Dubas, how he's a good guy, I consider Brad Trillivic as someone who is a nice guy to deal with. And, and, you know, I wish him nothing but the best with the Toronto Maple Leafs. His legacy in Calgary very mixed. You talk about one playoff series win in five years for Dubas. That's two playoff series wins in nine years for, for Brad Treliving. And we talk about drafting. You got to put some of that on the director of amateur scouting. 
you know, there were still some good picks that were that were done in Calgary. It's just a question of retaining some of those guys. Maybe some of the coaching hires too. Bill Peters, Daryl Sutter. It's it's a bit mixed for me when it comes to to Brad for living on that front. But I also think he did some good things. And I also wonder in terms of the resources available to him in Calgary, look, Murray Edwards and the MLSE night and day in terms of the money allotted to you. It, it, it's just fact. It is what it is. And I'm very curious to see what tree does in an environment that is going to allow more spending of money. Let's be real about it. Well, he's already got twice the staff he ever had in Calgary. And, 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 come so, on. and look at, and look at, Sometimes more isn't better. Like more isn't automatically better. There's complications True. that come with that. But there, I mean, it will. It's night and day for him. The experience he's going to have with the resources. And you're right. He's not going to have to hire another coach if he chooses at some point to move on from Sheldon Keith, based totally on what the salary is. It will be about who's the best person available. What's it going to cost? And and the odds are are pretty small that that would ever be turned down. I mean, this is the organization that is only now just coming to the end of paying Mike Babcock. $8 million a year, roughly, $7 million, whatever it was. Lots of money, six, six point something. Anyway, lots of money for a head coach, more than the coaches make in, in his steed. You know, the Leafs just, they have outrageously high ticket prices. They have yes. outrageously high TV viewership. They can generate revenue in this sport in the way few others can, maybe more than anyone can. And so that, that affords you... That, that gives you the downsides, which probably is a thousand people at all times having a strong opinion on your decisions and what you're doing and why you have this person as the eighth defenseman or what you're doing with the goalie and the Marlies or whatever. But then the upside, of course, is that, you know, you, you've got a blank check to try to get this job done. Anything else you want to add about Kyle Dubas before we wrap up? Yeah, I would say that, you know, we didn't get a whole lot into the GM thing. You know, I really don't get the sense he's in a rush you know we'll see how it shakes out um you know obviously i would expect he's gonna hire some people that he's been familiar with as time goes along but i i don't know that it's automatic he's he's naming a gm on july 15th just because he said today he'll do the preliminary you know work these this next month or two uh as on an interim basis himself you know be, be curious to see how he fills out his front office over time um but didn't didn't leave me with any impression that that this is going to happen quickly and so Maybe we can calm down some of the takes that he's going to just raid, raid the cover of the former team he worked for, at least, at least right away. Oh, well, because my follow-up question was going to be, is Brandon Pridham part of that list? Is Eric Tulski part of that list? It seems like if any team, uh, I'm trying to think who, you know what's funny? Uh, like, it's not the best analogy to make or the best comparison to make. But like in the NFL, Eric Bieniemy's name comes up a lot, the offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs, and it's like, oh, we want a new head coach going to be progressive, who's going to put all these things in. Eric Bieniemy is that guy. I think of Eric Tulski in that same manner, in the fact that if a team has a vacancy at GM and the fans want someone progressive who's all about numbers, is young, and is able to be put in that situation, Eric Tulski's name ends up being put in that situation. So I could already just kind of picture him being there, but I'm also curious about who else could go for that position. Well, he already interviewed in Pittsburgh, right? He was part of that the too. initial search. Um, you know, and what was interesting is Dubas noted with it being June 1st and, and how much work was already done by, by Fenway sports group before he was part of the process. He just said it would be hard to get permission again to speak to some candidates. So it kind of, there might've been like a small nugget in there that, that the, the main people he's thinking about had already been candidates originally weren't weren't selected when he was hired but maybe he wants to go revisit those things i mean we'll see what the summer holds 
Yeah, you, you wonder about Brandon Pirtle. I'm like, I can tell you from my league sources, a lot of people think it makes sense. That's not, I mean, I, I guess they're putting two and two together the way a lot of fans or other reporters might be. But I, I certainly heard a lot of that today in my texts or a couple calls I had that people thought that. But, you know, I also think from Pridham's end, he, he likes it in Toronto. He was actually hired by Brennan Shanahan. He wasn't hired by Kyle Dubas. He was hired around the same time. And he's been here a long time, too, in the city and seen his, his role grow. I, I think he'll be even more important than ever to Brad Trilliving coming into a new position just in terms of helping him navigate especially, you know, these contract negotiations, you know, even just the decisions on restricted free agents and all the sort of contractual stuff that's going to come up and, and the leaf salary cap picture. Um, you know, it would make some sense for him to go there, but I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that that's all cooked up and, and gone. Again, everyone thinks that there's this, this giant play and that everything is preordained. I, I'm, I'm a little bit more would caution you against that, that, that there's this, this whole thing is there. I mean, I, my understanding is that Brandon Pridham is very comfortable, excited about this opportunity. And, you know, he worked with Dave Notice before too. So this isn't Kyle Dubas and Lou Amarello. So he's worked with a few general managers and continued to have success. I don't think that's going to change. I know we're trying to temper the drama and maybe some of the stuff that was out there is coincidental. And maybe some people will just want to stay in their original jobs because they like it there. Siege, I love this. I love this drama. I love, I well, love the juiciness of all of this. We've missed the most obvious thing. Like, you don't have a heart if you're not hoping for a Toronto-Pittsburgh playoff series. It doesn't even have to be next year. But, I mean, this is actually a rivalry now. I mean, there's no way around it. Okay. All right. You're going to go there. Rivalry. Well, for sure. I mean, even if it – whether the, the players themselves on the ice feel it, it will be billed as such. It will be discussed as such. The fans will watch the game through that lens. We talking about it or writing about it are going to – bring up all this. I mean, this, again, it might not be a rivalry. Like, I don't think that Sidney Crosby is going to line up across from Austin Matthews and have a little extra, like, verve for that matchup because of what's happened behind the scenes. But for the fan bases and for the cities, I mean, this is spicy. You, you thought Kyle throwing the water bottle and swearing at the fans and all that stuff in the last playoffs was crazy. Like, imagine him back in Toronto for a series like that. I mean, that – that would be something. Um, I'm always cheering for stories, as you know. So I'm cheering for that at some point down the road here. So I wonder how people are going to treat Calgary-Toronto games from here on out. I know in Calgary, there will be people who will focus on Bradford living, obviously not to the same way that Leafs fans will focus on Dubas. But, uh, you know, hey, uh, if another if it gives me another excuse to visit Scotiabank Arena next season, I will gladly take it. Love it. I love it. Love it. It is a great time to be a sports fan. This is going to be a great and massive couple of weeks to come. On the ice, we have the Vegas Golden Knights and the Florida Panthers in the Stanley Cup Finals. And over on the hard court, we have the Denver Nuggets and the Miami Heat in the NBA Finals. And you already know the SDPN will be all over both of those series. For the hockey fans, check out the Steve Dangle podcast and the Chris Johnston show. We will have you covered. And the Game Over crew will be back for post-games. For hoops, check out S and Lauren on the Objective Basketball Podcast. Watch full episodes on our YouTube channel or listen on your favorite podcast app. We are everywhere. Hey, happy Pride listeners. We celebrate Pride here at SDPN because we believe that sports are only fun if everyone is welcome. We're also really excited to share that we are once again working with our good friends at the Get Real Movement. And we're joining their fundraising efforts by joining a virtual 5K on June 23rd. 
The money we raise will be going to Rainbow Railroad. Their mission is to help LGBTQI plus people escape state-sponsored violence. It's an extremely important cause, and we've got a link in the description below. Please check it out and support if you can. And stay tuned as we continue to celebrate Pride Month. We're just getting started. All right, it's time for uh, Stick Taps before we wrap up uh, the Thursday edition of the show. CJ, who do you got? I'll give my stick tap to Patrick Kane. Uh, just gone through a hip procedure that, you know, as much discussed during the season that he might have to have. The initial prognosis is he's going to be sidelined four to six months. Here we are in June, so that could take you right to December, maybe even the new year. Um, but the hope is for Patrick Kane that, that he continues his career, that he has a lot of years left. You know, guy loves hockey. So uh, hope, uh, hoping for a good recovery for Patrick and that uh, we see him back. And, you know, you hate to see any athlete maybe taken out by a health issue. But the good news is, is other players have had similar surgery and come back and been successful. So we'll keep our eye on Patrick. All right. Uh, good luck to Patrick Kane. Uh, my stick tap is going to go to uh, a fellow uh, TSN colleague of yours, CJ, uh, Salem Valji, uh, who is the Calgary correspondent, because in January, he made the prediction that Brad Treliving could jump ship and join the Toronto Maple Leafs as GM. And he got it right. He got it right. He's got he's got to get some props here, man. I know I know you had it from Jump Street when Kyle left that Brad Treliving was going to be the favorite for this job. But, but Solomon Valji called it in January, and I haven't seen anyone give him props for that. So I hope uh, people's uh, apologies to him are as loud as the disrespect that he's gotten. So I'll give him the stick tap for the huh. prediction of the year. I wasn't I wasn't aware of that, or I'd forgotten that if I was. So uh, good job, Solomon. I certainly wasn't thinking. I wasn't of that mind in January. I, you know, no, but by no May, one was. It, start, it started to make sense when the Leafs made the decision to, to get rid of Kyle Dubas, but. Uh, wouldn't have guessed that back then. Yeah, no, I don't think anybody would have guessed that back then. And a lot of people around that time were like, really? Like, how are you? Like, where does that come from? But hey, it worked out, man. It worked out. And with that, get your questions in for Ask CJ. I believe you already put out a prompt uh, about a day or two ago, Siege. So uh, we'll probably take questions from that. There was a lot of questions in there. Oh yeah, Every, we're everybody's frothing at the mouth for off-season news. So we'll, we'll oh, get into. Oh yeah, we will get into that and more on the Monday edition of the CJ Show. Uh, for CJ, I'm Julian. So long and happy Pride Month. The Chris Johnston Show, powered by Sports Interaction. Wanna bet? Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at Reporter Chris and follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.